Hello, and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Glad you guys are here. And you know, the first thing I want to talk about today is the brand new thing that I am offering. Last week, I talked about it briefly. We are now offering virtual training sessions. Yes, that's right. Virtual training with me. If you guys want to train your dog with me, you can now. Email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with your dog, and then maybe we can set up a consultation. We'll talk more in depth about your dog, your training goals, and set up an amazing plan that'll get you on the right track to fixing your dog's behavior. So no matter what you're dealing with, guys, reach out to me. I'd love to be able to help. We got this uh, Zoom training going. I've got recorded uh, videos, recorded training that I have that I'll give you guys as homework assignments. And, you know, we've been doing it and it's been working pretty well so far. And we're going to continue on. And it's awesome. So, again, if you guys want to do some virtual training with me, you can email me. Questions at speakadogcast.com. Let's get your dog's behavior under control. I'd love to be a part of that process. But let's also talk about the show today, right? First segment we're going to have, it's road tripping with your dog. Now, I am so, so grateful. And in a week, I will be going on a road trip myself, taking a nice little vacation with my wife and some of our pups. So we're going to do a segment on what you need to bring, what you need to expect, things maybe you haven't thought about for road tripping with your dog. So definitely going to check that out. Then comes our breed of the week Following our breed of the week, we're going to do a segment on young puppy training. And those of you that don't know, I got a new puppy a few weeks ago. Yeah, Riker, our little 13-week-old bud, and he's doing awesome. And I want you guys to be a part of that training process. So, you know, we're talking about how to create that initial structure, initial training, what you should be doing, what what your expectations should be for your young puppy, and how to get on that right training track. Yes, absolutely. Then comes the listener Q&A. And of course, if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going today, got to give you that trivia question. And the trivia question today is, what is the only breed of dog mentioned by name in the Bible? Yes, what is the only dog breed mentioned by name in the Bible? And I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in the show today. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's Road Trippin' with Your Dog. Yeah, Road Trippin' with Your Dogs. You know, I, I would imagine that a lot of us out there, especially with travel restrictions going on right now and everything that's happening, we want to get away. All of us want to get away. And the easiest way to do that probably right now is to hop in your car and go somewhere, right? So you want to take a road trip, but also with everything going on, there have been many people adopting dogs that have never had dogs before. And, you know, as we know that the shelters are being inundated with calls and it's, it's great. It really is. It's awesome. It's phenomenal. A lot of the shelters down here have been doing empty the shelter events and they've been emptying the shelters during these events, which is amazing. So there are a lot of people getting dogs out there and maybe you want to travel with your dog. Maybe you don't want to leave your dog at home or in a boarding facility. You want to bring your dog along on the adventure. And I totally get that. And as a matter of fact, uh, my wife and I next week, we're actually doing just that. We are going on an adventure. We're going up to Northern Georgia, up into the mountains there, and we're going to get away for a week and it's going to be wonderful. And of course, we're bringing dogs with us. <laughs> we have to, uh, but no, it's, it's going to be so much fun. It really is. It's going to be great for us. It's going to be great for them. They're going to have so much fun hiking in the mountains and we are as well. So, you know, 
it's it's going to be awesome. But road tripping with your dog, man, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. I mean, how much preparation there is just for my wife and I, you know, all our stuff, everything we've got to bring uh, to be prepared to go up there. And then everything we're going to have to bring for the dogs as well. So, you know, to me, it starts with a checklist, right? Starts with a checklist, pretty simple. But I like to make my checklist like a month well before I'm going on this trip. And that way, as we get closer, I'll find that there's other things I need or maybe things I thought of or think of. It makes the brainstorming go better if you have more time uh, and you start writing things down early because then it sparks other ideas and other thoughts. And you're more likely to remember the, everything you need to bring. Now, of course, with dogs, there's definitely some some more specific, more specialized things we need to think about. Uh, and I'm going to actually, I'm going to go over my checklist of my dog stuff in just a little bit. Um, but we got to talk about a couple things first before we get into that. And of course, like I said, the first thing is we got to make the checklist. Um, one thing you really need to do, and again, I recommend doing this well before your trip because you want to make sure you have time to fit your dogs into this. Uh, you need to call your vet. You need to make sure your dog is up to date on all their shots. Ask your vet if there's any other vaccinations, anything like that you should be taking into consideration for your pet, depending upon where you're going, how much time you're spending there. They may recommend uh, you know, a flu shot. Maybe you don't normally give your dog the flu shot or something like that. So definitely give your vet a call and tell them what you're planning and see if there's any other recommendations that they're going to make for you. Another thing you want to think about is the route, guys, the route you're taking. Yeah, plan your route out. Know if you're going to be able to give your dogs, if there's places along the way to give your dogs bathroom breaks. Me personally, I, you know, obviously you're going to have to stop for gas, but I prefer not to let the dogs go at the gas station just because there's always like broken glass and, you know, all kinds of crap on the ground and oil and gasoline and who knows what that's getting all over their paws. And then they get in the car and they start licking their paws. Yeah, we don't want that. Um, Really, the rest stops, if you're on the interstates, the rest stops actually are great because they tend to have a lot of big grassy areas, nice open areas for you to take your dog and let them relieve themselves. But really, that route, you should really be, especially nowadays with GPS, I know people don't really consider this, <laughs> don't zoom in. Uh, you know, it's so funny, my, my wife and I, we were. I, I asked my wife, I said, have you ever heard of a trip tick? And she said, what's a trip tick? <laughs> now we're about the same age. So I wasn't, I don't think I was really dating myself here, but uh, you know, anybody out there knows what a trip tick is. It was triple A. For those of you young people before the days of GPS, oh my gosh, I'll never forget. My parents used to keep like four or five maps in their car because you used to have a state map and then like a city map. And then if there was somewhere we went often that was a different city nearby, they'd keep one of them. You know, you had to have a map in your car to know where the hell you're going. And then, of course, if you were planning a road trip, if you called AAA, they'd actually plan out your route for you. They still do this, actually. They'll still make a trip tick for you because not only do they plan the route, but they plan things to see along the route. Best, you know, if you're looking for a more scenic route or these kind of things, and they would help you out because, again, Google and GPS didn't exist. You couldn't find these things out without going to somebody like AAA. Um, so it was kind of funny. But anyway, plan out your route. Know your route. Know that you're going to have the ability to stop in appropriate places to let your dogs relieve themselves, you know? Oh, my goodness. Now, of course, guys, if you're going to go for a big road trip, I, I really hope your dog is used to being in the car. Definitely want to get them used to the car. If not, we can use a lot of treats for this. You know, anytime you go for a ride anywhere in town before your trip, anytime they get in the car, give them a treat. Say, good boy. And then that's it. Get in the car and go to your place. Get them out of the car. No big deal. When they get back in the car again, treat again. Good boy. So that way you can start associating good things with the car. Little little other thing. I used to, uh, a couple times I've had dogs, client dogs that are really scared of the car. And so what we'll do is I'll tell them, you know, feed the dog in the car. 
feed them in the car. You don't have to go anywhere. Just don't have, you have to turn the car on. Just take the dog out to the car, get them to hop in the car and feed them their food in there. Again, just associating something better, something happier with something maybe they were fearful with. Okay, That can go a long way toward um, getting rid of that nervousness. And sometimes there's nausea paired with nervousness. <laughs> Some dogs get nauseous in the car. I highly recommend experimenting with different placement of your dog in the vehicle. Some dogs, if they can't see out, it makes them nauseous. Some dogs, if they can see out, it makes them nauseous. So maybe tethering your dog down on the floor is better, or maybe tethering your dog up on a seat is better. I definitely would recommend experimenting with that and seeing if it helps. Uh, of course, there are some medications you can look into uh, with your veterinarian. Definitely give them a call um, to, to try to combat some of that nervousness and anxiety. But again, to me, the best way to do it is to start curbing that anxiety well before the trip. Start conditioning the car as a happy place with food, feeding them in their treats, so on and so forth. Okay. Another thing you want to do right before your trip, make sure you exercise your dog a lot the days leading up to leaving. Yeah. Make sure they're in good shape for this, of course. You know, make sure they're in good shape to go for a road trip. Make sure they're in good health. You don't want to be on the road with a dog who's potentially got some health issues. Um, but get them nice and exercised before you leave. All right. Three to four days out, maybe double the amount of exercise that you normally give your dog. That way you're getting them really exhausted because the more tired they are, the more apt that they're just going to get in the car and pass out and fall asleep. So definitely, definitely up that exercise to get them tired before the big trip. So the other one other quick thing I'm going to do before we get into the checklist or mention rather before we get into the checklist and something you may have not considered at your end destination, look up a good veterinarian, guys. Wherever you're going to end up, or maybe even along the way, know if there's a good vet nearby or a good emergency vet, even more important. Okay. Definitely want to check that out because God forbid anything does come up. You want to be prepared for that. You don't, you know, if you're in a panicky moment, the last thing you want to have to do is start looking up where vets are and how many ratings and reviews they have. <laughs> are you going to trust them? Um, so if you can do this preparation work ahead of time, it'll make those hopefully moments that never happen. If they do happen, make them go a little smoother. Okay. So let's talk about the checklist. What is on my checklist? Now, as I mentioned before, you want to make sure your dog is up to date on their vaccination. So the first thing on my checklist is a copy of your vaccination records. Yeah, especially if you're crossing state lines. Uh, you know, guys, different states have different requirements for what shots your dog is supposed to have. Now, because you're living in a different state, that's fine. You're not going to get like ticketed or anything if you don't live there. But having the proof of vaccinations with your driver's license from a different state is going to help, right? Or if your dog gets bit, then you need to be able to prove that your dog has its rabies vaccine, okay? If your dog does bite somebody else the other way around, same thing, guys. You're gonna wanna have those vaccination records on hand, ready to go. You don't wanna be going, oh my gosh, it's Saturday, the vet office doesn't open till Monday, we can't call them and get the copy of the records. That's gonna create a problem. So make sure you're bringing a copy of those vaccination records with you. The next thing on my list is definitely tags, right? Collar tags. Uh, the tags go right there with the vaccination records. Make sure they're up to date. Make sure the tags are up to date. And extra leashes. And honestly, I'd even bring an extra collar on a road trip, guys. What happens if the collar breaks? I mean, things happen. The leash breaks. Make sure you're bringing extra leashes, extra collars, okay? Now, also on my list here, toys, we obviously want our dogs to be stimulated on the on the trip. We don't want them getting bored. So make sure you bring a lot of good toys, maybe some good indestructible toys. For puppies, now I'm going to be bringing a small puppy on my road trip. It's going to be a little bigger by then, a um, little bit. Uh, but 
for puppies. Know your puppy's chewing habits. Know what they like. One of my favorite toys is that Everlasting Treat Ball. Everlasting Treat Ball is awesome. It's a rubber ball. They've got this um, uh, edible chew part that actually is inserted into the ball. So the dog has to try to get it out and chew at it. Older dogs tend to kind of destroy them pretty quick you know, if you've got a pretty big dog. But for puppies, man, those things are awesome and they'll go to town on them for a while. So that everlasting treat ball could be a good savior on that road trip there, really helping you distract your puppy in the car. Okay. Another thing, like a tennis ball, it's a great way when you make that stop to let them relieve themselves, guys, stick them on a 20, 30, 40, 50 foot training leash as we've talked about because there are leash laws um, when you're stopping to pee and throw the tennis ball with them a couple times. That way they're still tethered. You still have control. They're still leashed. You're not unleashing your dog and won't, you know, you're not going to lose control, uh, especially if you're at a rest stop or something. There's a lot of cars. Make sure you're doing this safely. I really, really implore you to not throw a tennis ball with your dog unless you have a nice long leash on them in an area like that. Because that's just, that could be a little unsafe, okay? But have that tennis ball with you so you can spend five, 10 minutes real quick on boom, 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 getting them to chase that ball, getting some of that extra energy out. So when you get back in the car, once again, more apt to want to just pass out, take a nap, okay? And if you've already done all those nice walks leading up to leaving, then that tennis ball should supplement them nicely to be nice and tired, okay? So of course, when they get back in the car, they're going to be thirsty. So we've got to make sure there's the next thing on my list, a collapsible bowl, or I like to use gulpies. Anybody familiar with gulpies? It's a water bottle that has the bowl actually kind of attached onto the side of it. So all you have to do is flip it open, squeeze the water out into the bowl, let them drink it, pop it back closed, and it's really awesome. Uh, I really like the gulpies a lot. They also fit in cup holders in the cars very well too, which is awesome. So gulpies are great for a road trip. However, if you've got a big dog, if it's a long road trip, you know, you can't have like 16 gulpies in the car. <laughs> so maybe the collapsible bowl is the better op option, but I'm still bringing my gulpies with me because when we go on hiking uh, adventures and things like that, man, that's the perfect thing to have. Um, so yeah, definitely want to have that collapsible bowl. Bring a gallon, you know, just bring a gallon jug of water, guys. That's the easiest way to make sure you have plenty of water. Bring a gallon or two of water for the dogs, pour it into a collapsible bowl, Easy peasy, okay? Now, the next thing you wanna have is treats in a treat pouch. We still always wanna make sure we have the ability to guide and direct and reward, more importantly, reward and strengthen desired behaviors. Just because we're on a road trip, even actually even more so, because we're on a road trip, I'm not letting my rules and boundaries go away. They're sticking there. And I have to be able to reward when they stay within those boundaries. So a treats in a treat pouch, it's a must on a road trip, guys. Must, must, must. Of course, plenty of poop bags. You need to bring more than you can imagine. <laughs> Think of it this way. You're going to be scooping the poop every single minute. Look, it, it, I, I scoop poop with a scooper in my yard. I don't pick it up with a bag every time. The only time I pick it up with a bag is if I'm out in public and on a walk. Um, so it's, I've got to put it more in my brain that on this trip, right? I've got to pick up after the dog every time with a bag, no matter what, where we are. So you've got to think about that. I'm bringing two dogs with me on this trip. If each dog poops on average four times a day, that's eight poop bags a day. So make sure you're stocking up on those poop bags for that road trip. You want to bring more than enough, <laughs> way more than enough poop bags. So don't forget those poop bags. Then, of course, guys, we got to bring a crate. You have to. Uh, final destination where we're staying, they require if we're leaving that cabin and, and we're not there, the dogs have to be in a crate. And as they should be. It's not our property. I, I'm on board with that. I'm all for that. That's respecting their rules and their property. And even though my dogs, well, Riker still does because he's a puppy, uh, but any, the other dog that's going to be with us, 
They're going to be in a crate. Even though they haven't been crated for years, they're going to be in a crate because it's the safe, right thing to do. Here is another example, guys, of why it's so important to crate your puppies. Yes, because we're going on a road trip. We're staying somewhere and they require us to crate our dog if we want to bring them with us. Yeah. So there's another reason you should be crating your puppy. Eh, just going to say it. <laughs> okay. Another thing you want to bring with you, paper towels, cleaner, and trash bags. Plenty of all of the above. Whether a dog gets sick, has an accident, you want to be prepared for it. Trust me on that. You don't want to have to be Googling where's the closest Walmart to go buy spray and paper towels. Bring it with you because otherwise you're sitting in the car with that smell for the next 30 minutes before you get to that Walmart, right? <laughs> you don't want to do that. Trust me, bring them along. With that said, you also want to bring, you can do seat covers, quilts, blankets. I highly recommend covering in, in, a, in old blankets and old sheets, right? Cover your seats in these. That way, if they do have a bad accident, it's really bad. You can just take that thing, crumple it up, put it in a trash bag, throw it away and be done with it. Okay. A lot easier to clean up that mess. Um, so definitely want to have some of those thrown in there. Now, the obvious stuff, but you still want to make sure you have it, guys. Food. Obviously, you need to have plenty of food for your pup. Make sure you're planning. You always want to bring more than enough food. Same thing with medications. That brings us to medications. If your dog is on any supplements or medications, we want to make sure that you have more than enough. You never know. Sometimes you get a flat tire, car breaks down, whatever. It may delay you a day or two. So you want to make sure you have more than enough food and medications for your pups. Now, a brush and shampoo might be another thing that you maybe didn't think about, but if we're going on a road trip for me, I mean, we're going, we're going to go hiking. The dogs are going to get a bit dirty. I'm definitely going to want to give them a bath before putting them back in the car and heading back home, you know? Uh, so brush and shampoo, towels, dog towels. There's another thing on the checklist. And here's a very important one, guys, a first aid kit not just for you, but for the dogs. I implore you to get some dog bandages, some good stuff that works for them, uh, especially if you'll be doing some hiking. You never know when they can come across something that might cut them or uh, things happen, accidents happen, and you want to be prepared for it. Um, now, the other thing on my checklist here is a doggy backpack. Yeah, this has to go on the dog checklist. If you're going to be going on those hikes, definitely want to bring a doggy backpack along because I can take those gulpies. I can put one on one side of the backpack, one on the other, maybe even attach the first aid kit. Boom. My dog is got something to do, a little extra work, and they're helping carry everything along, okay? Doggy backpack is an awesome supplement. Obviously, be aware with your dog's age and physical abilities. Uh, don't overdo it. Don't over, uh, oh, you know, you don't want to... Um, make it too strenuous for them, okay? So be aware of those things. Now, as you can see, guys, this checklist is, it, it's long. There's a lot of things on here. Um, you know, if you're taking a road trip with your dog, definitely go back and listen to that checklist again and write these things down because there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, and you don't wanna be caught in an unfamiliar place without taking these things into consideration. Um, now, one more, you know, actually, it's funny, I just thought of this, I hadn't put this on the list, but it's something that needs to also be thought about a jacket for your dog. Now, look, I'm not saying dress up your dog in a tutu, like nothing like that. Um, but if you're going to be hiking, if you're going to be out in the elements, what if you get stuck on the mountain? Um, you know, we have to take those things into consideration while we're hiking, bringing an extra cover up or something. Like, what if it starts opening up raining and we have to hunker down? If your dog is sensitive to temperature changes or cold weather or things like that, be sure you're taking that into consideration. Booties, right? Sometimes even booties for their feet can help keep them warm. Not every dog breed's gonna need that now. A lot most dog breeds won't, uh, but there are certain breeds that will. There are certain breeds that get colder easier and faster than others. And so a rain jacket, a warmth jacket, some of those things, 
maybe take into consideration for your own pets when you're when you're going on a road trip, okay? Because obviously the elements are gonna be different most likely where you're ending up than where you started, okay? So it's a big checklist, it's a lot of work. Like I said, we've been kind of going through this checklist and preparing for this trip for like a month. You know, we really have. We've really been trying to think through it, make sure we have everything we need. Definitely want to be responsible dog owners and making sure that I have everything I need for them as well as myself. So road trips can be so much fun with your dogs. I'm I'm so pumped. I'm like, you have no idea. I'm, <laughs> if you couldn't tell, I'm really excited to go on a vacation. Uh, and my wife is too. We are both looking forward to this so much. And it's going to be such a great time. And I can't wait to share it with you guys. We're going to get some great pictures. Training's still going to be going on, even though I'm up on vacation. Riker's coming with us. So I got to keep that training going. Can't just stop just because I'm chilling out in the mountains. Uh, so we're going to take some good videos and some good pictures and share them with you all. And it's it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. So when you're road tripping with your dog, keep these things in mind. Make that checklist. Make smart decisions. Know your route. Know where you're going. Make sure you have a vet that you're comfortable with at the end destination. Make sure you have all these things under control, guys, and you'll be setting yourself and your dog up for an awesome road trip. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Border Collie. The Border Collie belongs to the herding group, and they come in at anywhere from 30 to 55 pounds. They are a medium-sized dog, athletic, and bred to work, work, and work some more. They come in both a rough and smooth coat in a wide variety of colors and patterns. They can be an affectionate dog, and they are highly intelligent. The Border Collies actually earned the title as the smartest breed of dog in the world. Now, that makes this dog not the best dog for everybody. This isn't going to be a happy dog sitting on a couch and being a couch potato. While daily long walks, brisk walks, they're a must that's gonna only be the beginning of the amount of stimulation and activity needed to keep these guys fulfilled. The Border Collie's natural instinct is to herd, and it is strong. These dogs will herd other dogs, cats, children, anything that moves, even cars. So training that herding instinct out, it's really not an option, guys, it's just not. So owners must learn to control their herding drive in a healthy way. Some owners even go as far as to participate in herding trials to help fulfill their instincts. These guys are all around great farm dogs. They'll also excel at agility, flying disc, obedience, and you know what? Throw anything on that list and these dogs are going to succeed at it. They can make an excellent dog to the right family with the right training and correct stimulation. Generally, they're a healthy breed, but owners should be aware of hip dysplasia, deafness, and epilepsy. Now, the origin of the Border Collies, well, it goes way back to Roman times. When the Romans conquered England, they brought along livestock and the dogs that helped maintain them. Now, over time, the Vikings also invaded England, and well, they brought their dogs along as well. The Viking dogs were a Spitz-type dog, and then they bred these with the more bulky and stocky Roman dogs, and this produced the first lineages of the Border Collie that we know today. With their compact size, high intelligence, and swiftness, these dogs were the perfect match for the hilly and unforgiving terrain of the border between England and Scotland, hence the name Border Collie. The breed's popularity began to grow in the 1800s after Queen Victoria first laid eyes on them. And once again, Queen Victoria's influence on the dog world, it's unrivaled and unmatched by anybody. Now, I did a segment on Queen Victoria and her influence on the dog and animal world back on episode 27. You can go back and check that out. 
Now, it wasn't long after uh, after Queen Victoria recognized the breed that herding trials became popular in England, and the dog's ability was showcased heavily in such events. Today, there is no better dog for herding than the Border Collie. And of course, in pop culture, perhaps the most famous Border Collie was Fly from the blockbuster movie, Babe. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the only dog breed mentioned by name in the Bible? It's the Greyhound. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's young puppy training. As puppies grow, there are certain behaviors that, well, you are sure to encounter, and some of those behaviors are going to be undesired. And, you know, it, it, with puppies, to me, the training has to start from the second you get the puppy. Now, that's not to say we need to create any type of like military style training or nothing crazy, but there has to be some form of rules, some set of rules, structure and boundaries in place from the second you get your puppy. Okay. Now, what are some of those undesired behaviors we all know about? It's, yeah, come on. It's, it's jumping on people. It's biting. It's mouthing. Um, maybe pulling on leash or whining in the crate or all these different kind of things that come up at some point or another. You're, you're bound to encounter at least a handful of them. So how do we go about starting those, you know, to get rid of those behaviors? Honestly, the best way to do it is, like I said, from the very beginning, you're implementing structure and rules from day one. A lot of you know, we just, my wife and I, we just adopted a new puppy, Mr. or excuse me, Commander Riker. I keep saying Mr. It's not appropriate. Uh, <laughs> no, Commander Riker. We call him Riker. And Riker was about 11 weeks when we got him. And guys, since since the start, since day one, we've already been implementing rules, boundaries, and, and structure. And it's amazing in a handful of weeks what you can accomplish behaviorally with your dog if you start to implement these things from the beginning. Okay. Now, Interesting thing I had to I have I have to kind of say is recently I came across a client who told me that their veterinarian told them it's a waste of time to train your dog until they're six months old. I I I I, I mean it kind of left me speechless when I heard that a, a veterinar a doctor told a client that it's pointless to train your dog until they're six months old. That's nuts. Okay, first of all, guys, do you work on housebreaking from day one? I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. And guess what? That's that's called training. <laughs> that's training. So I don't think you're waiting till the dog is six months old to start the housebreaking process because you need to get that taken care of, right? Well, 
It's no different with biting, jumping, mouthing, pulling on the leash. You need to get that stuff taken care of and under control when they're young. Because the more you let it go, it's just like if you were to not housebreak a dog for six months and then try to housebreak them, it's going to be a heck of a lot harder, isn't it? Because now you've let six months go by of that behavior not, you know, of it being reinforced, of letting them go in the house, and now you're kind of up a creek. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, it could be done, but man, it's going to be a heck of a lot harder than had you started housebreaking at day one, and it's no different with any other behavior. So please, I implore you, don't wait to train your dog. Don't wait to call a trainer. Call somebody from day one. There are so many things we can accomplish, even at eight and 10 weeks old, just from the standpoint of housebreaking um, um, rules and what you want to establish and allow. There's so much that goes into it at an early age and so many things you can do. So once again, don't wait. Heard another veterinarian say four months, four months old. They're useless until they're four months old. <laughs> like, really? Boy, you guys don't work with the same dogs that I work with. Um, <laughs> look, I took Riker out to lunch last weekend. And we went out to this great local place. It's awesome. Love it. He got the attention of everybody. And not only did he get the, the, you know, it's not just that he's cute. It was, he's so well behaved. I had to come over and see him. He's so well behaved. How old is he? It's no coincidence that he's so well behaved, right? That's because I've started that training from day one. So, it's nothing crazy. Like I said, we're not talking any really overly regimented, oh, don't, don't, you know, like has to be done. We have to do it this way. I have to do It's nothing like that to start with. Um, and even then, I don't think I ever quite get to that level. With you know, It depends on what a client is looking for, of course, in a dog. But um, the reason he was so well behaved is all the in-between stuff. We're going to talk about everything I've been doing just in three weeks with Riker, everything I've been doing behaviorally with him that has gained such success for key, at making him a nice, calm dog and teaching him how to behave in, in all different kinds of circumstances, right? So again, if I let undesired behaviors happen, guys, then the dog thinks it's normal and then it's harder to reel it in. So with Riker, I didn't let any of those undesired behaviors get out of control. We nipped them in the bud right away and he's a phenomenal dog already, right? So if I never let a puppy practice those behaviors, if, if they never get away with it, if they never continually practice a behavior, then guess what? They're not practicing practicing the behavior, then it's not being rewarded, it's not being reinforced, and it's not being strengthened, right? What is being strengthened is desired behavior. <laughs> okay, so how do we do it? What should you be doing with a young puppy? And again, we're talking like under four months old, a young puppy that most people go, well, they don't, you know, they don't really know how to do much. No, they really do. They really do. Okay, so here's where it starts. Now, I like to have all my clients with young dogs start with this. This is the first exercise I give. It's something so simplistic and so basic, but so important, okay? I want you, if you have a young puppy, you're gonna get a nice meaty treat, right? Nice training treats as a lot of uh, companies are now labeling them, which I like, That's you know, they're, they're good. We want treats to be small, meaty, be able to eat the treat, be done with it and move on, right? I don't want the dog having a, having a hard treat where they're making crumbs and then they're putting their nose to the ground. And that, that, that. No, I want them to eat that treat, be done and we move on and we're on to the next thing. So the first assignment I give is get some of those nice meaty training treats and we are going to just go make a kissy noise. The dog will look up at us I make the eye contact and I feed them. Then I'll start pairing in their name. So with Riker, I did Riker. He looks up at me, good boy. And then as he's eating the treat, I make the kissy noise again. So it's Riker, or excuse me, it's kissy noise first. Then his name, Riker, right? Then I feed him the treat and tell him good boy and make the kissy noise again. <laughs> okay. Now, 
I think I've talked about this before, and if I haven't, well, you're going to hear about it now. Um, the reason I use the kissy noise, the reason I pair that noise and I don't just rely on his name is because, well, quite frankly, dogs hear us talk all the time, right? They, they hear our voices all the time. This is the first thing, first point about it. And if I want to get my dog's attention, if I want to get them to come back to me, do a recall, or I just need to redirect that focus, I need something that cuts through everything they're used to hearing. A kissy noise, very high pitched, cuts through noises, cuts through talking. They hear it and it immediately grabs their attention. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second reason I like the kissy noise, and this is the one, I don't know if I've talked about this yet. Um, I, you know, I ask, why do squeaky toys squeak? And I think I've had one person ever, <laughs> it was just recently, one person ever get the answer to this correct. Why do squeaky toys squeak? You may not like this answer. I'm sorry if you don't. It sounds like a dying animal. Yes, you heard it, people. The reason that squeaky toys squeak is because they sound like a dying animal. And that's why so many dogs want to rip that squeaker toy out because the animal's still making noise. It's still alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what are dogs? Domesticated wolves. And don't forget it. Don't forget it. So again, by, from my training standards and my perspective, guys, what do I always try to do? I always try to tap into the instinctual, natural ways that the animals perceive the world around them. And wouldn't you know it, that kissy noise sticks out. Now, there is the other side of the kissy noise. What noises do puppies make? Very high-pitched sounds. It's natural and instinctual, once again, for dogs to want to cue into that noise. So we could argue it's both, but let's be real. That's why squeaky toys squeak. So. Um, <laughs> Okay. Okay. So again, I don't want to get too off track here, but I love telling that story or, you know, the reason behind it. Um, so again, first assignment I give my clients with young puppies and I was, is I want to make that kissy noise, get the eye contact, feed it, tell them good boy, good girl, and then make the kissy noise again as they're eating it. Over time, over after like a week, I'll start fading out the second kissy noise, right? The one while they're eating it. Again, if you guys are not familiar with Pavlov's dog, I've talked about it before, but we're not going to get into that right now. But Google it. Google Pavlov's dog if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, great example of conditioning and, and you, go, go check it out. <laughs> okay, so that's what we're doing here. So again, in the long term, all I have to do is go, Riker, and he'll look or come running. And guess what? That's what's been happening. He can be across the house. I, he can be playing. He can be mid-play with another dog. He can be chewing his favorite toy. And when I make that kissy noise, he stops what he's doing and comes running over to me because I paired it with a delicious meaty treat and created focus. Okay, That is like the number one most important thing you can do when you have a small puppy. Create focus and have the ability to control it. Guys, what do I always say? Training is all about the ability to guide and direct and manipulate focus. And having the ability to do that is training. That's that's all it is. That's all training is, is guiding and directing focus, conditioning, stimulus, so on and so forth. Okay. So if, if there's one thing you should be working on with a young puppy, it's pairing that kissy noise, their name with food and looking at you with food and focus. Okay. What other things can we be doing from there? So from that, um, obviously commands, right? Everybody knows commands, the sit, stay, that kind of stuff. We've really been working on sit and stay. That's Those are the next two I like to start with. Now, we can practice sit all the time throughout the day without having to do any extra work. Anytime I ask my, uh, anytime I let him out of his crate, right? It's first thing in the morning and I'm letting him out of his crate in the morning. I ask him to sit in his crate and stay. 
He has to sit and stay until I release him. All right. Okay. Front door. It's time to go outside. Same thing. Sit, stay, open the front door. He has to wait till I release him. All right. Coming back inside. Sit, stay. All right. It's feeding time. Sit, stay. All right. We're going outside to play. Sit, stay. All right. You see the theme here. It's amazing how just with doing that and taking no extra time to set aside for training with him, I'm going to get those repetitions in like a dozen times in a day at least, right? At least just by doing my normal routine with him and I'm still teaching him a sit and stay at the same time. How awesome is that? You should be doing that every time, guys. Every time you let him out of the crate, every time you go outside and come back inside, anytime you're feeding him sit and stay, anytime you have that opportunity, sit, stay, all right, release him, okay? So it's really important that you understand training isn't necessarily something we set aside 10 minutes for. It's structure that we create throughout our day, throughout our routine, throughout our normal routine, not doing anything special. Just opening a door, my, da- my, my puppy, my dog now knows I don't bolt. I sit and stay and I wait. I don't walk out that door until I'm released, So I'm training a sit, I'm training a stay, I'm training focus, and I'm training my dog to not go outside until I release them, and I'm training a release. I'm training five different things. I mean, think about that. I'm training five different behaviors just by making my dog sit and stay at the door. How cool is that? Okay, so that's the thing with young puppy training. You can be doing this and integrating this training, integrating the training into your daily routine, into just how you interact and work with your dog. Okay, that brings us to the next point, and that's playtime. Playtime, Riker knows a drop it, he knows a leave it. Three weeks, guys, three weeks I've had this puppy. He's a tiny puppy, and he already knows all these amazing things. And it's just because we put in a little bit of work. Seriously, I'm busy. I still have appointments. I have other dogs here that are in training. This isn't just me sitting around putting all my time into Riker. I can't give him 120% of my time. I wish I could. Um, but that's just it. You know, this is, this is, this is being done sure with a little bit of time set aside here and there as well, but it's being done by being incorporated into my daily routine. And that's how I can create an amazing puppy. Okay. So the next thing, like I said, leave it, drop it. I'm going to put a video up soon. Um, hell, may, may already be up before this episode airs. We'll see how quickly I can get it up there. Uh, but I'm going to get a video up of Riker doing his leave it, his drop it and showing you guys how we work through that a bit. Okay. So he knows a leave it. He knows a drop it amazing. And he even knows that recall already, right? Because like I said, he can be across the house and I go, Riker, and he comes running to me. Now, if we were to go outside with no leash, no, it wouldn't be the same. (laughs) The recall isn't going to work quite as well outside with distractions. If I took him to a public place, no leash, and tried to get him to come back to me, no, it's not going to work so well yet. He has his limitations on what he's learned in three weeks, and I have to know that. But in the house, the recall's already getting phenomenal, so it's a great foundation, it's a great building block to get me to those next steps, okay? So that's also what we should be teaching. Another thing, leash work, guys. Most people, for some reason, I don't know why, but they use the excuse of, well, he's a young puppy, so I I just let him do whatever he wants on the leash. No, stop doing that. (laughs) As I said before, The more behaviors that you let go now, the more that dog thinks that that should be the norm, okay? As soon as I could get a martingale collar on Riker, as soon as he was old enough, I put a martingale collar on him, made some corrections, and boom, wouldn't you know it, he's walking better on leash. We've started working through my turns and redirections and teaching him to walk. He's doing great. He's doing awesome. Three weeks, right? Three weeks of having him. So leash work is another thing you should be working on. Now, 
the jumping, the whining, the mouthing that we've talked about, um, you know, I've talked about how to deal with puppies and, and the mouthing and stuff. You want to redirect it to a toy. You want to try to say no. There's a bunch of different things. You can go back and actually listen to my last episode if you really want to dive into that. But you should not be allowing your dog to jump on you just because it's cute. Even if you're getting down on the ground and they come and they put their little paws on you because they're only 12 weeks old and it's adorable. We shouldn't be letting that happen, guys. We just shouldn't because then the dog thinks that's what it's supposed to do. And two months from now when that dog is you know, doubled in size from what it was, if not tripled <laughs> from 12 weeks, you're in trouble. Look, Riker's going to be a big boy. And he started doing that. He started putting his paws up on us a bit. And it's not a, of course, like actually it's not a big deal right now because he's a tiny puppy. But could you imagine if he did that to a two-year-old? Even he's not a big dog, but he's big enough. If he did that to a two-year-old, he could potentially hurt them. And then again, as he grows, if he thinks that's the normal behavior, he's going to do that to 82-year-old grandma as well. That's not okay. Or he's going to do it to the two-year-old again, and then he's going to really knock him over and hurt him. So little things like that, that just because it's a young puppy, you should not be allowing the jumping, the climbing all over you, the pawing you, the mouthing you. These things should not be allowed, guys. And you should be working on them from day one. Trust me. Trust me, even an eight-week-old puppy, you would be so surprised how much they can pick up on. You really, really would. So if you start that structure and training early on, you'll never have to deal with these things down the road, okay? Um, Now, another little in-between kind of thing, and this is a personal rule. We've talked about it before. Dogs on furniture. Whether you want your dogs on furniture or not, you know what? It's totally up to you. It really is. What I personally care about is does, does the dog come up when I ask them to come up? Do they get off when I say get off? Do they just climb on me whenever the hell they feel like it? (laughs) Or are they more polite? Now, Riker is at a size and an age where he can't physically climb. We allow our dogs on furniture, by the way. Um, He can't physically make it up onto the couch on his own. Okay, so he'll put his front paws up. Now, it started with us pushing him down, asking him to sit, waiting for him to look up at us nicely. And then I reach down and pick him up and bring him up on the couch. Okay. Because he started putting his paws all over us and banging us and then putting his paws and bashing my little chihuahua and you know, you can't have that. Um, so we taught him instead of coming up and putting your paws up on us, come and sit next to the couch, sit down and look up at us nicely and ask. That's what I taught all my other dogs too, you know? Um, so something small that you should be teaching your dogs is when they come over to the couch, if they put their paws up on you and start demanding to get up on the couch, you have to push them down and tell them no. Maybe ask for a sit Stay, wait like 30 seconds, make sure they stay nice and calm, and then okay, and then we'll bring them up on the couch. And then I'll be able to evolve that, and once he gets bigger, I can invite him up on the couch. But starting with that control, starting with being able to tell him, hey, back off, buddy, don't just jump straight on my lap. I don't know about about other gentlemen out there, but I really don't like when the dogs jump straight straight on my lap because it hurts. (laughs) So it's kind of a little pet peeve of mine. I really don't like it when dogs just leap up onto my lap out of nowhere. I like to teach them to ask to come up and then jump up next to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a safety thing, people. Safety first. <laughs> All right. So it's those little in-between things you really got to think about with a young puppy. But I, I promise you there's no age too early to start implementing training, to start implementing structure. Okay. Look, the to-do list with your puppies, guys, it's pretty straightforward. It really is. First assignment, first thing I give all my clients is you should be starting to create focus and teaching your puppy their name. We want to do that by making the kissy noise, calling their name Riker. They look up at you. You tell them, good boy, good girl. You feed them the treat and you make the kissy noise again as they're eating the treat. 
then slowly fade out that second kissing noise. And before you know it, you'll be able to make the kissing noise. Dog will come running across the house for you. Okay. The next thing, uh, next couple things we want to be working on, of course, are our commands. Don't forget, we can start with a sit, a stay. Uh, and the sit and stay can be incorporated at the door, crate, feeding time, or just because, right? We can be incorporating these commands into our daily routine and your dog can be learning it in no time. So a sit, a stay, a leave it, a drop it. You can even throw the lie down in there. That's not quite as important to start with, but that's the next one we'll be jumping in on with uh, Riker. So sit, stay, leave it, drop it, lie down. Those are my core five. You can be utilizing them now. Now, the drop it and leave it, we can be using during playtime. Again, go check out my Instagram. I'll show you some videos up there about how I work through that and how we can incorporate uh, our commands with playtime there. Then we also want to be working on leash work, guys. Don't let the dog being a small little puppy be an excuse <laughs> for not teaching them to walk on leash. You can be teaching a dog to walk on a leash at a pretty young age. Of course, we don't want to encourage jumping. We don't want to encourage whining. We don't want to encourage those undesired behaviors. And just letting a behavior go, just letting an animal practice, just letting your dog practice that behavior is encouraging it, guys. Just because you're not actively doing anything doesn't mean you are not passively reinforcing behavior. So keep that in mind. Um, don't let young puppies get away with things just because they're young puppies. Create structure, create rules, create boundaries, and you will be setting your puppy up for way more success down the road and creating a happy and healthy dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Jeff from Sarasota, Florida. Jeff asks, why do dogs sniff each other's butts? Yes, why do dogs sniff each other's butts, Jeff? Well, you know, sometimes it even extends to humans, doesn't it? Sometimes a dog will come over and stick their nose right in your crotch and, you know, we all know it, that that's the way dogs greet each other. We all have said that, oh, that's the way dogs greet, but why? Really, when it comes down to it, it comes down to sweat glands. And more specifically, an apocrine gland is actually what it's called. And the apocrine gland is actually responsible for releasing hormones that convey really a lot of different types of information, such as age, sex, mood, if a mammal is able to mate or not. And dogs actually have these apocrine glands all over their bodies. But the highest concentration is found in the genitals and the anus. Hence why they all sniff each other's butts. Now, with human beings, um, it's kind of the same thing that we have these apocrine glands and they, and they tend to be around our crotch and our armpits. Okay, those are the two places. So it's really no surprise that a dog's going to head straight in for that because that's the way they naturally do, do it to each other, the way they naturally greet and perceive information, receive information from each other. Uh, and that's really the reason why. Now, you can teach your dogs to not do that, not to dogs, not, excuse me, to people. You can teach your dogs to not stick their noses uh, in people's crotches uh, so much, but obviously not the dog side because that's their natural way of saying hello to each other. Oh, goodness. Uh, but yeah, that's why dogs will go in and actually sniff each other's, uh, sniff each other's butts. Next question today, this comes uh, from Janelle in Boston, Massachusetts. And Janelle asks, why do dogs like to get their bellies rubbed? Yeah, well, you know, the simple answer is most likely is that it feels good, right? <laughs> uh, I can't ask the dogs. And look, this is kind of always my thing is something like that. When you say, why do dogs love getting their bellies rubbed? 
I can't really give you the answer until I can ask the dog and they can respond to me. And we all know that's not going to happen. Now, what do we believe the experts say about belly rubbing and why a dog like why dogs like belly rubs in particular? Um, some people say it's maybe because of the stroking of the hair that's linked to social grooming. And so the belly is one area that's maybe a little more sensitive and they tends to feel good. And so that's why they like to do it. I think perhaps there is something to it of, you know, people go, oh, well, my dog will come over and roll over and be submissive to you. Now, y'all know what I think of the word submissive. We're not going there today. Um, (laughs) But I do think it can convey, hey, I don't want any trouble and I just want affection. Right. A dog just coming over and rolling over and going, hey, just want a belly rub. I think it's more to it than just that it feels good. It's probably a few different aspects of why a dog enjoys a belly rub. But I think honestly, I really think at the end of the day, it's probably just because it feels pretty darn good. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And if you want to jump on that virtual training with me, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com and we'll get your dog's behavior under better control. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.